Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman in her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by our executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Hello, everyone. This week, we are talking about election reform. I know we just went through a crazy election year that seemed never ending, and some of us all want that to be behind us. But House Democrats want to make sweeping changes in how we vote, how candidates run for office, and how organizations and campaigns can fundraise. They have pushed forward a bill ironically called the For the People Act, and the bill number is HR1. This bill is loaded with complicated restrictions and regulations that would really end up stifling our voices. Today, we have with us our H1 expert, Jay Christian Adams, who serves as president and general counsel of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, and he's also the founder of, Ele of the Election Law Center. He served from 2005 to 2010 in the voting section at the United States Department of Justice. He is an author of a New York Times bestseller called Injustice, exposing the racial agenda of the Obama Justice Department, which we will link for you guys to check out. Um, and then he litigates election law cases throughout the United States. He brought the first private party litigation resulting in the cleanup of corrupted voter rolls under the National Voter Registration Act. And he has handled cases in 20 states and the territory of Guam. He has even received multiple awards for his work. Thank you for being with us today, Christian. Uh, thanks, guys. All right, so let's dive in here. Like Tabitha said, there is a lot in this bill. So let's break it down in a concise way. Let's tackle first how we vote. Because of the pandemic, there were a lot of changes last year in how we were actually able to vote. Some of those changes in this bill are going to make those changes permanent. Can you talk about those, Christian, and how that would fundamentally change the outcome of our elections? Right. Um, HR 1, which, by the way, passed the House in the last Congress. So and anyone who thinks this can't move, uh, just look at history. HR 1 includes all of the wish lists to fundamentally transform our elections. Everything that happened in 2020, if you didn't like it, it's gonna become federal law under HR1, whether it's vote by mail, trafficking in ballots, no voter ID, forced independent redistricting commissions, uh, uh, same day registration, you don't have to register in advance, you can vote in any precinct you want. All of the things that caused chaos in 2020 the Democrats in Congress want to make federal law. In other words, take everything that went wrong and make it the law of the land. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I mean, I think everyone was really disappointed in how things turned out during the election, uh, whether, you know, and it didn't matter which political party you were part of, someone had to stand in a long line or someone was worried about their ballot going through the mail and, and you know, a lot of different things. And so um, that would be really devastating if we had to live with those problems for the rest of our life while we're voting. That would put a major distrust on the election system. Well, don't forget, our Constitution presumes that states control their own elections. And that's a good thing to decentralize elections. So every state comes up with a different plan. We should celebrate that. The federalism that's in our constitution 
uh, protects individual liberty. It doesn't allow a central power to manipulate the outcome. As soon as you start federalizing election rules, you're allowing Washington, D.C. to have more power. That's why places like Texas and Florida have voter ID. That's why some states have felon disenfranchisement. In Maine, in the state of Maine, they roll the voting machines right into the prisons. That's how Mainers want to have their elections. So when you federalize everything, you take away that which makes America, America, and that's the decision of the states to run their own elections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the next part we wanna talk about is the way candidates can conduct their races. What are the implications on candidates on how they run their race, the money they raise, and then the way they talk about issues? Right, I mean, there's a lot of speech regulations in this bill that are not good. A lot of restrictions on uh, how candidates can run. I think there's public financing provisions. There's all sorts of new requirements for private groups to disclose things to the government. Uh, the the obligations on C3, 51C3 organizations that didn't exist. Look, this bill, HR1, and actually SR1 is worse. There's a Senate companion to this bill that's actually worse, that one of the things my organization, Public Interest Legal Foundation has done, is we've done data mining around the country for years to document non-citizens voting in American elections. And one of the ways we do that is using federal law that gives us the right to this information. They hate us so much that in SR1, they make this sort of data mining that only my organization does illegal. So it, it's an effort to stop election integrity advocates, to tamp down on conservative groups who are suddenly active in this space. So this shows, um, and I know we've seen a lot of uh, censorship of conservatives on social media lately, um, but they've been trying to do this for a while now. This isn't anything new. And so this is a way to censor conservatives through federal legislation. And can you explain like who is making the, the decision on who gets censored in this legislation? Well, look, the, the, this, is, this is a bill to aggressively attack things that conservative groups have done to increase their voice. Uh, conservative groups don't rely on unions to pay their bills. Conservative groups don't rely on organized labor and, and that sort of thing. They, they have a different fundraising model and the provisions of this bill related to campaign finance and, and other speech regulation is aimed at what conservatives do differently from the left. Um, but I gotta tell you that the more dangerous things in this bill, I mean, for even if they didn't have the speech provisions, right? Throw that out of the bill, all the regulations on speech and campaigns, the mechanical provisions, the process provisions that we talked about would still be overwhelmingly devastating. They, the way we run elections, all there, it's a architecture designed to keep conservatives in a permanent minority, even if the speech provisions weren't in this legislation. Hmm. And let's not forget, it's also unconstitutional to take away the power from the states to organize their elections as they'd like to. Well, you know, that is a fascinating question. And I, I, I think your instinct is right. But here's the troubling thing. This would all be passed under the elections clause of the Constitution. 
the elections clause says the Congress has the power to set the time, place, and manner of holding congressional elections. Okay, so there's a clear constitutional um, way to do this. They are also invoking the Fifteenth Amendment that, like, voter ID is racist. We you know, put that aside for a moment. The Supreme Court has never restrained the elections clause power. They've never, never restrained it. When Motor Voter passed in '93 and Illinois and South Carolina challenged motor voters unconstitutional, Supreme Court didn't limit the elections clause. It said that you have the power to regulate the time, place, manner of holding congressional elections. Now, here's the rub. States could get around this, and unfortunately, this is what segregationist states in the 60s threatened. Okay, well, great, we'll set up a separate registration system. We'll hold separate elections. If you live in New Jersey or Virginia or Kentucky, you know what I'm talking about, because we elect governors on a different year in those states. We stagger elections. To, and that way, the federal government doesn't have control over those elections. Until states are willing to stagger and separate their state and congressional elections, uh, the elections clause is going to suck in all these other state laws. There's really no way out of the elections clause, the Constitution. That's so interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, another problem that is in this bill is that organizations like Eagle Forum would come under severe scrutiny based on the issues that we've already talked about. So Eagle Forum has a designated 501c3 and a 501c4 and a political action committee. So not only do we educate the public on legislation, we also take specific stances on this legislation. We hold legislators accountable by grading their votes and we donate to candidates who we think will further our cause. How would HR1 affect our operation? Well, I mean, there you get into the speech regulations again of really dumping a giant uh, regulatory scheme onto groups that do like Eagle Forum does, where you have an advocacy side and you have a C3 side and uh, lots of uh, uh, disclosure rules. Your donors are not going to be protected uh, like they have been in the past. Well, I, I, you might not want to hear <laughs> put this out on that. That's that's how dangerous it is. Is because our donors, your donors, in America, we enjoy the ability to support causes without your name being a neon, right? I don't have to suffer uh, if I donate to a political candidate uh, attacks. But the world is changing, and the left has figured out if they can intimidate individuals like they've intimidated corporations. By the way for the last 10 years uh, and have intimidated and badgered and harassed companies to become uh, leftists, which they have like one of the worst is Kellogg's. Uh, I always like to say that because they are one of the worst. Then they think they can do it now to individuals <clears throat> and turn individuals away from supporting conservative causes because of all the rules in this new legislation that would no longer protect their donor privacy. Yeah, that's so dangerous. And I, I think that's something that we've been fighting against for a while. Um, I mean, we know the attacks that people are getting just because they've made a statement on Twitter or, you know, something small like that. And so actually putting their money somewhere, that's even more of a red alarm bell to, um, to liberals who just want to tear them down and cancel them. So yeah, that's scary and dangerous. And, um, and so, you know, there's a lot 
to this bill, like it affects everyone, it affects jobs, um, it affects you as an individual and, and things like that. Um, and, and we talked about a lot of things here. Do you have resources that people can look into if, they're, if they wanna dive in deeper to this bill? Right, we have a guide up at uh, publicinterestlegal.org that does a section by section uh, look at this bill. Um, I've written about it extensively. Um, unfortunately, this bill passed the House, as I said, <clears throat> in the last Congress, so it's going to pass the House. The question as to whether or not it passes the Senate, quite frankly, is essentially being decided now. It's mm -hmm. being decided in the filibuster mm -hmm. fight because if the filibuster doesn't exist, I don't see what stops this bill uh, unless there is a very aggressive campaign directed at three or four Democrat senators. Um, Do you think that if it does pass the Senate and Biden signs it into law that it would go to the Supreme Court? Uh, yes. And again, I am not convinced that there's an angle of attack there because <clears throat> of the elections clause that I talked about. Remember, in the free speech area, in the, in the McCain-Feingold area, <clears throat> the elections clause was bumping up against the First Amendment, okay? And that's why parts of McCain-Feingold, but not all, were declared unconstitutional. In the structural part of H.R. 1, the process issues that I talked about, how you vote, where you vote, <clears throat> all of those rules, there's no competing constitutional principle other than state federalism, which again, the elections clause can devour. So I don't see how the Supreme Court, <clears throat> you know, has the guts to declare it all unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. Well, Eagle Forum will have information posted as well on our social media and our website. We will have an alert to contact your representative on this bill. And besides calling your member of Congress, what other efforts are out there for our listeners to get involved in when it comes to making a real difference in our elections? The most important thing that any American can do to help the integrity of our elections is to contact <clears throat> your local election official and volunteer to be a poll worker. In other words, become a government employee for one day. Work the polls, call it straight, make sure the process has eyes on the game. Being a poll worker is the most effective thing anybody can do. You even can get paid in most places. It's a long day, but it's an important day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last year, we had Hans von Spakowski on to talk about mail-in voting and some of the changes made in last year's election. Um, and a lot of that is still very relevant when we discuss the upcoming elections and what is in HR1. So um, if you're listening, if you finish this episode and need more, check out season one, episode 34. Hans is actually on the board of directors for your organization, right? Yes, I talked to him on the phone this morning on the way here. Great. So you guys are doing amazing work together. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, Christian, so many of us feel very defeated and that we are swimming upstream a lot on a lot of these issues and and we really care about them um, before we end can you offer us any hope for this year <laughs> ah well um look um, 
people didn't like what happened in 2020 as far as the chaos goes. We're a country built on stability. When your elections become chaotic, uh, people notice. And I think I've been talking about these issues since I left the Justice Department, and so has Hans. Uh, we've been warning people for years that process matters to the left, and they're going to figure out a way to make the rules favor them. And I guess if there's any consolation going forward, is I think pretty much everybody in America now understands what we mean and are keen to do, make it better. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Christian, for joining us and giving us the scoop on election reform and HR1. We will be posting several resources and ways to engage throughout the week. And if you're listening to our podcast, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends and leave us a review. You can find us on all your major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleforum.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum. Now for now it's for our new segment, the Swamp Beat. But not the Swamp Beat. Um, we're coming at you with a special segment. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot more natural. Yeah, I like that. Hi, y'all. We wanted to pop in at the end just to give you a quick update on what is happening right now and what we can plan for this week. So for those of you listening to this episode at a later date, this is for the week of February 8th through 12th. There is just so much happening every week. We can't always fit it into one podcast episode. So we're going to do this frequently so you can be prepared for the week ahead. And something happened in DC this past Thursday, February 4th, that had us political junkies excited. It was a Senate procedure called the Votorama. If Votorama sounds like a carnival game to you, you're not too far off from what actually goes on. So this is a maneuver that helps in the budget reconciliation process where senators offer amendments to a budget-related bill. Votoramas typically go for hours or even throughout the night. So for example, the one this past Thursday lasted 15 hours. It's both a battle of policy and the willpower to stay awake. Yeah. (laughs) During this process, some of the amendments were able to be passed with 51 votes instead of the usual 60. However, if the Senate clerk deems the amendment to not be germane to the budget, it will have to go back to 60 votes. So a little wonky like workaround there. In a split Senate, that's exactly why you will see a lot of these amendments fail. So Kirsten, do you think our listeners want the good news or the bad news first? Obviously the good news first. <laughs> okay. We had some really good wins during the Votorama. Um, it's not always a given that we have wins. So that was the good news. And here's the rundown of those wins. Um, to my ultimate surprise, Senator Ernst offered an amendment to prohibit the increase of minimum wage during the pandemic and it passed by voice vote. So when it passes by voice vote, that means no one objected to it or asked for a roll roll call. So everyone was on board technically. (laughs) Also, Senator Young's amendment passed on banning economic impact payments from going to illegal immigrants. Senator Rubio's amendment passed that prevents tax increases on small businesses during the pandemic. Senator Lee was able to expand health savings accounts, which is huge. Senator Cornyn stood up for the police by passing an amendment to keep the police departments funded. Senator Inhofe held the line on maintaining the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. And Senator Portman pushed forward an amendment to create a website to show the expenditure of COVID funds. Now, you would think this is a no-brainer, but 
<laughs> transparency isn't always a given in our federal government. <laughs> so um, Carson, you want to tackle the bad news? Mm, all right. Well, I'll start out with a really sad one. Nebraska Senator Sass offered an amendment to protect infants born alive during an abortion procedure. And that garnered 52 votes, but it ended up being sub subject to the 60 vote rule because it wasn't exclusively budgetary. Senator Blunt of Missouri also offered an amendment to stop payments to schools that are refusing to reopen that also ended up failing. And there were a lot of good immigration amendments related to funding border security, capping visas, and stopping federal payments to illegal immigrants that the upper chamber eventually couldn't come to a consensus on. Yeah, this isn't the end of the pro budget process yet, but we have these wins to hold the line on. We will be talking about this more and giving you an opportunity to thank your senators for fighting for these good policies. Just make sure you check our social media and um, at eagleform.org. Mm -hmm. And while Votorama won't be going anywhere soon. So if you missed it on Thursday, there will be more opportunities to watch the Senate proceedings. But more specifically, the agenda for this week, the second week in February, in the Senate will be taken up by the second impeachment trial of President Trump. The question that the Senate will have to answer is whether or not they can actually impeach a non-sitting president. A couple of weeks ago, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul offered a motion to declare the trial as unconstitutional. In his almost nine minute floor speech, Paul rightly points out the biased and partisan effort that the impeachment trial is. He stated at one point, quote, if the accused is no longer president, where is the constitutional power to impeach him? Private citizens don't get impeached. Impeachment is for the removal from office. And the accused here has already left office, end quote. So impeachment proceedings are not expected to last as long as the first impeachment of President Trump, which ended up being about three weeks. So be sure to follow Eagle Forum on social media for a more up-to-date account of what is happening in the Senate trial. And if you get bored. Oh, we have something for you. <laughs> <laughs> you can get your cooking on with Phyllis Schlafly's recipes. We have a cookbook that includes 28 of her recipes guaranteed to keep you moving throughout the hours of an impeachment trial. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you're actually sticking to your New Year's resolution of losing a few pounds or you're just in dire need of some comfort food, she has a recipe for it all. She has salads, she has sweets, everything in between. And I'm a baker, so I'm a big fan of her angel food cake with the chocolate frosting. So you can go now to our website and purchase Faithfully Phyllis. Here it is. Um, we will provide the link for you below. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back here next Monday.